Amen, Father. You have made it crystal clear in this song we've just sung and in your word that you receive your highest honor and your right when you are our fullest delight. All things for your glory and because of Christ, all things for our final and everlasting joy. So we praise you and we thank you for this stunning truth. And now I ask for help as I unfold your word and seek to exalt its functional authority in our speaking and in our writing. In Jesus' name, amen. My topic is how do we give the Bible functional authority in our speaking and our writing? Let me begin by clarifying some terms in that title. By authority, I mean God's right or anyone's right to direct another, to guide another, the right to decide for someone and for ourselves what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what is true and false, what is beautiful and ugly. If you have a right to decide that, you have authority. And of course, there are degrees of authority. There's, there's the absolute authority of God, above which there is no other, and then there's the authority, say, of a six-year-old whose mother has authorized him to take the three-year-old to the park, and he has authority to bring him home, get him there, tell him what to do and what not to do. So there's a whole range of degrees of authority in life. We do not, contrary to what the title sounds like, we do not give the Bible its intrinsic authority. We don't give the Bible its intrinsic authority. It has its intrinsic authority because it's from God. God is absolute authority, and when He speaks, therefore, He speaks with absolute authority. What I mean when I say give the Bible its functional authority is that we do give it that by submitting to its intrinsic authority, by embracing its absolute and intrinsic authority. When we embrace it, we give it functional authority. We own it, we honor it, we submit to it, we acknowledge it, and all those are words I mean by giving it its functional authority. It is already authoritative, whether you have any disposition to treat it that way or not, and it happens to be infinitely worthy of our submission and our giving it, rendering it, owning it, engaging it as our functional authority. So, when God speaks, 
He speaks with absolute authority, and since the Scriptures are inspired by Him, all Scriptures breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21, and thus the biblical spokesman said things like, the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 14.37. Therefore, the Bible has intrinsic authority because it's spoken by God, and we render it as functionally authoritative, authoritative in our lives by submitting to it. And at our very best, this submission is very happy. We say with Jesus, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I eat obedience, and it tastes really good. The strength of our souls, the satisfaction of our hearts is to walk in willing submission to his beautiful authority. That's us at our best. No chafing, no constraint, no coercion, no slave-master-slave relationship here. This authority is totally owned as beautifully good for us, and we are glad to have it so. So my aim in this message then is to talk about how do you give this absolute authority in the Bible, functional authority in what you speak and what you write. That's my goal, to give some practical guidelines for how that's done. So let's put a couple of passages of Scripture under our feet before I give you the practical suggestions. If you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to read verses 12 to 22 and focus on verses 20 and 21 for a moment. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who are over you in the Lord and who, are, who, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good abstain from every form of evil. So focus for a moment on verse 20 and 21. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything, hold fast to what is good. Now almost everyone when they read that assumes that the prophecies we are to test are spoken by someone else, not ourselves. And that is surely Paul's most prominent intention. That is what he means. You are being tempted to despise prophetic words that are being given around you. And he says, don't, don't do that. Rather, 
calmly test them and then lay aside the ones that are unworthy and embrace the ones that pass the test. But I would say that surely it is implicit in the principle that we would do the same to our own prophetic words. So that if you find a word springing to your mind by spiritual intuition, and you don't know where it's coming from, and it could be of the Lord, this would still apply. Test all things, hold fast, and then speak what is good. And if it doesn't measure up to the test, keep it to yourself. Now, the reason, one of the reasons that I feel warranted in drawing out that implication, though it's not Paul's first intention, is when you go to 1 Corinthians 14 and look at how he is instructing the ones who are prophesying in the church meetings, he tells them to control their speech, at least in the timing of it, because he says, let only two or three speak, and one at a time, and if a prophetic word comes to one, let the other stop, and let that one speak, all of which, he says, implies you can do that. You're not in a trance. You're not out of control, and therefore he says it explicitly in verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 14, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, meaning themselves. The spirits of prophets don't get out of control. Like, I've got to say this, and, and the whole place falls into disorder because you've got ten guys feeling that way. In other words, you can control whether you speak a word of perceived prophecy, and you should govern whether it is spoken by other factors besides it's coming into your head. Let all things be done decently and in order. Don't wreck the way this service is going by your presumptive prophetic inclination here. So, I assume then that Paul is saying prophets may or may not choose to deliver what comes into their heads. Now, if I go back to verse 20 of chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians, do not despise prophecies, even the ones in your own head, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. So, here's, here's my reasoning. If a person tests his thoughts to find them to be of the Spirit and still choose not to speak them, according to 1 Corinthians 14, how much more would you test your thoughts, your prophetic intuitions, and not speak them if they don't meet the test of being of the Holy Spirit. 
That's my reasoning. And if we ask now, all right, if you apply verse 20 and 21 to yourself, test all things that are coming up in your head, how, what test do you use if not an intuitive sense that this is of God? Paul gives a very clear answer in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. Here's his answer. If anyone thinks, 1 Corinthians 14, 37, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if he doesn't, He's not. That's pretty clear. <laughs> that is really clear. In other words, my claim, your claim to be a reliable spokesman for God is tested by whether you put your utterances on paper or out of your mouth under the apostolic word. If you don't, what you are saying has no claim to any divine authority. If this is true of spontaneous thoughts that come into our minds called prophecy, how much more true of reasoned out conclusions from observation and reflection. So, intuitive insight and reasoned deduction and induction, both of them coming into the mind after an hour's thought or waking up in the morning with a, a kind of prophetic sense. Either way, we are testing all things in us. We're testing all things by apostolic word, by the Bible, and we are speaking and writing only what passes the test. Let's look at another text. That's my conclusion from 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians. Here's another one, 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, good managers. So, grace is received and you steward it. That's amazing when you think about it. Like, what? I manage grace? I mean, grace, <laughs> that's a big power. So, 10,000 volts, how am I going to manage it? Well, that's what it says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve as stewards, household managers of God's varied grace. Then he gives two examples, right? Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength which God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
So how are we a good steward of grace in these two giftings? Be a good manager. We will serve, sir, let's take the serve first. We will serve and manage grace well in our serving by relying on the strength of God from outside. Relying. It's the relying that is the managing. As I'm preaching, I'm relying. And, and thus stewarding a grace by relying on an outside thing. Not me, it, him. How about the other one? When we speak, I infer, we will manage grace well by relying on oracles of God from outside ourselves. That's the parallel that I see here. I thought about this a long time. This is a very complex Greek here with this, these two host words here. We can talk about this in table talk if you want. But my best, my best take on what's the What's the parallel here? It's that in serving, we manage grace well by relying on a power outside of us, and in speaking, we manage grace well by relying on a word outside ourselves. And so the upshot of this text would confirm what we've seen already, namely that to be a good steward of God's grace in speaking and writing, we order ourselves, our minds, our speaking, our writing under an external word, the oracles of God. Now we're at the main point of the message. So that's all foundation, and I wanted to talk about how do you give functional authority to, to the Bible, to the apostolic word, to the oracles of God, to the whole, whole Bible? The first answer is this, just the general one, then I'll get more specific. We do this. We give the oracles of God. We give the apostolic word, we give the Bible functional authority in our speaking and in our writing by testing every thought that arises, whether by prophetic intuition or by reason deduction. We test every one of them by the oracles and the apostolic word, the Bible, and if they pass the test, we speak it and we write it. If they don't, we don't. And thus you have rendered the Bible to have functional authority in your speaking and in your writing. Now, let me get more specific. Okay, this is… This is this message started in my mind with this sentence, and then I had to find all the other pieces so it could take 30 minutes. Cultivate. Now, this is my desire for all you students especially. The faculty, we hired them because we believe they do this already. But you're here at this institution to cultivate habits of mind. That's the way I think about education. Education is a process of cultivating habits of mind and heart. And there's a lot of them. And this is one. So, I hope we help you cultivate the habit of mind that asks, as every debatable sentence, I'll come back to that in a minute, 
as every debatable sentence forms in your mind, you ask two questions of that forming statement, about to be spoken or written. You ask, is there a passage in the Bible that supports what I'm about to say? And I would say, maybe even more important, you ask, is there a passage in the Bible that sounds different than what I'm about to say and contrary to it? Both of those questions are crucial, not just the first one. So, my practical counsel and my plea is that over these years that we're together, you may have already done this, and that's wonderful, you form the habit as any debatable sentence rises in your mind, whether by prophetic intuition or by logical deduction, you, you form the habit of asking two questions. Is there a passage in the Bible that confirms it and shows it to be so? And is there a passage in the Bible that sounds, be back to that, contrary to what has been formulating in my mind? before I speak it, and especially before I write it. Now, why do I say debatable sentence? Just because it's unrealistic to treat every sentence this way. You just can't, right? You can't stop all day long at every sentence that you speak and, and do this. So, I'm not, I don't want to be unrealistic. So, I have to figure out, now, what, when should you do this? And, and my answer is, any sentence that you discern to be debatable. And if you ask, how do you decide that? <laughs> I would say your maturity, your wisdom, your audience awareness will mark your ability to do this. They will determine your… That, that's what maturity and wisdom and audience awareness mean, is that you make good judgments about what is debatable and what's not. So, there's ambiguity there, but you'll have to work on that. Which sentences, as I write, can I pause over and do this rigorous run-through of, of the whole Bible? And I'm just using the phrase, a debatable sense. If you have a better way to say it, fine. First, there's the positive test. Is there a passage there to support it? Negative test. Is there a passage that sounds contrary? Now, why, why do I say sounds contrary? Why don't I just say, is there a passage that is contrary? Because as you do the run-through of the Bible in your head to see if there's a sentence, it is very helpful to pause over the ones that sound contrary that aren't contrary. For example, if you're about to say to a group of young people at a retreat, you should love your mom and your dad. I hope you're wired in such a way that within five seconds the sentence comes, unless you hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sisters and your own life also, you can't even be my disciple. Wonk, stop, pause, deal with it. You just told them to love, and the Bible says they should hate them. 
And I'm saying that even though you're, you are going to conclude they should love their mom and dad, you will now be driven as a person who's giving functional authority to the Bible to wrestle with that apparent contradiction. Which leads me now to say, before I give you some illustrations of this, what, what do you expect to come from this? Why are you so interested in telling them to do this? And there are five fruits or effects that will come, and I'll mention them, and then I'll give you two illustrations of how we do this, and the effects will emerge in those illustrations, and I hope you'll get some encouragement and, and guidance for how to do it. Number one, if you do this, if you ask, is there a passage that confirms what I'm about to say? Are there passages that sound like they don't confirm what I have to say? If you form that habit before you write and speak, your speaking and writing will have more depth, more precision, more authority, more faith-awakening power, and more God-glorifying effect, those five things that will emerge in just the next few minutes. So two applications. You know where this message came from? Twitter. I get bent out of shape at misstatements on Twitter. Now, I shouldn't. I mean, this is the whole world just shooting from the hip, right? What do I care? What does anybody care about what anybody says on Twitter? I do, especially when pastors are making bold statements that are contrary to the Bible. Okay, that's where it came from. So, I'm going to give you some… You might be able to figure out there might be tweets behind these, but don't try, because then you're going to get names, then you're going to get me in trouble, and we don't want that. Example number one, illustration number one, suppose that you're about to teach a small group or a Sunday school class or preach a sermon or write a blog or tweet a tweet, and this sentence formulates in your mind, and it sounds good to you. It sounds pointed and got some punch to it, and you are forgiven in order to forgive. You do not forgive in order to get forgiven. And you're about to write it, and you pause. Oh, Pastor John said you're supposed to do these two tests on that sentence, and you say, is there anything in the Bible that confirms that? Oh, yes, there is. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God already in Christ forgave you. So, let your forgiving be a fruit and overflow of being forgiven. Amen. Good sentence. Use it. Stop. He said there's another question. He said, ask, are there sentences in the Bible that sound contrary to what I'm about to say? Oh, there are. There are. Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses, which sure sounds like you forgive in order to be forgiven. I take the Bible very 
seriously. I'm not eager to have a slick system with no glitches. I'm looking for glitches everywhere. Why? Depth, precision, authority, power. Not superficiality that everybody can say every day and everybody knows they haven't thought 10 minutes about what they're saying. So how do you how do you do functional authority when you bump into sentences that sound contrary to what you were just about to say? You pause and you say, I've got some work to do here. I've got to figure out how this fits together. My belief in the authority of the Bible says there is no contradiction between Ephesians 4.32 and Matthew 6.14. So the issues with my brain and my limitations, I've got to work on this and figure out what is the deeper unifying root behind these two expressions that seem at the surface up here so different. And you see what happens then? If you give yourself the time to do that, you go deeper down to the unifying root. And as you come up, you express yourself with precision. You don't kind of slop it all together. Nobody can tell what you believe about either of those verses because you have never related them to each other. You haven't made any distinctions between what kinds of forgiveness is being talked about over here and what kind is being talked about over here. You haven't defined your terms. It's just a mush, which is what most communication is in the world. And I'm pleading for BCS to be a, a place of precision, that you, the habits of mind that you form are leading you to greater precision, and then authority will follow because I'll tell you, when people hear you talk about a text and you bring up its most problematic opposite in the Bible, and you deal with it faithfully and honestly, their trust in you goes way up. And your authority in your church goes up. And people want to come back and hear a person who's thought like that. That's what they want. That's illustration number one. Illustration number two, the thought arises in your head. The gospel, this is what you're about to say, about to write, the gospel is not a message of what we must do for God, but what He has done for us. Grace never says, if you do this, I will do that. It says, done. This sounds so great. Ah, I want to write that, blog that, tweet that. Yes. So you do the, you do the run through. First, is there is there a sentence in the Bible, a passage that confirms that? Oh, yes, there is. It is finished. Love it. What, is, what a great message. It is finished. Or multiple times in the book of Hebrews, once for all, at the end of the age, he made atonement for sins. Done. Oh, he said we're supposed to do that other test as well. Is there a sentence in the Bible that sounds contrary to what I'm about to say, they're all over the place. Grace says, do, and if you do, I will do. Grace says that all the time in the Bible. Contrary to tweets, blogs, books, careless sermons, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
If we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we endure to the end, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Read your Bible, Twitterverse. Ask, give the Bible functional authority. And so, you're not going to just blather that out without any precision, without any distinction, without any care, without any thought. You're going to dig in and say, okay, all right, there must be a sense in which it is done and there's nothing for me to contribute, and there must be another sense in which God has every right in grace to me, His child, to say, if you do this, I'll do that, and if you don't, I won't. Like, we have not because we ask not. without anything being contradictory. And so, what's the upshot of that effort to, be, to give the Bible functional authority? The upshot is you go deeper. You go down under all these if-then sentences and under all these once-for-all-it-is-finished sentences and you find the common root of unity and you work your way up and notice how the distinctions are being made and definitions are being used. And you find then these are not contradictory. This is all coherent. This makes sense. And then you speak with greater depth and greater precision and greater authority, and your people hear it, and they submit. They reverence that handling of the Bible. Summary. Conclusion. The Bible has its own intrinsic authority. I do not give the Bible authority. It has authority. God spoke. God is absolute. He made the world. He understands the world. He rules the world. He is infinitely worthy of the allegiance of the world. He has absolute authority, and He has spoken. And therefore, this book functions as my apostolic word, my oracles of God, my final written authority. Nevertheless, I now, as a rebel, can say, no! I will think my own thoughts and write my own sentences. Or you can say, I'm under. And you can pray yourself into the sweet submission of eating obedience with delight and loving being disciplined by the Lord week after week as your mind bends and breaks and writhes, sometimes trying to figure out the depths of this glorious revelation. And as you do that, as you ask, God, is there anything in your word that sounds contrary to what I'm about to say? Is there anything in your word that confirms what I'm about to say? Your roots of analysis and understanding and enjoyment go deeper and deeper and deeper. And then as you come up and get ready to speak, having seen the underlying unity, you make precise distinctions and definitions so that your people grow in their respect for your authority as a representative of the whole counsel of God. And when that happens, faith grows and God is honored. So we go deeper 
we become more precise, we become more authoritative, faith is advanced and the glory of God is honored. Why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And wherever the Word of God is made more fully and faithfully known in writing and speaking, faith will get stronger and even come into being. And Paul said, pray for my word that when it runs, it would be glorified. God loves to glorify his word where his word is fully and faithfully opened. So, the faith of the world and the glory of the word is worth giving your life for. Therefore, give the Bible functional authority in your speaking and in your writing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love your son, we love his gospel, and we love the whole counsel of God surrounding it in your word and protecting it and explaining it. And I ask now for myself and for these brothers and sisters that as they speak and write in conversation, in blogging, tweeting, Sunday school teaching, small group leading, preaching, witnessing on the street, wherever they are, they will take all debatable sentences and put them through the sieve. Does the Bible have a passage that confirms this? Does the Bible have a passage that sounds like I need to rethink this? I ask this in Jesus' name.